Uh, the reading today is from 1 John, um, chapter 2, verse 12 to 14. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. So, last week we began this series, 1 John, in this letter written by uh, John, who was one of the apostles of Jesus, and is quite possibly one of the last of the apostles alive. It's his parting uh, definition of what he learned from being with Jesus. He wants those that he wrote to first and us to know uh, the depth and the clarity of the gospel which he received firsthand from Jesus. He didn't get it from another book. He didn't go on YouTube and watch the short summary. He actually walked with Jesus. And he writes to us to draw us into the authentic faith that he has that Jesus wants us all to have. And so we're kind of looking at this book in September because I think every September we all need to kind of refresh our, our faith, to refocus, to reconnect with God and to re-engage with what God is saying to us. So this is a great book and a great series uh, for us to do that in. Last week we looked at uh, how the authentic encounter with Jesus is both an encounter with experience that you experience God in a real way, and that that experience is born out of a revelation of truth. So it's more than just that, that depth of experience, the mountaintop, uh, the, the incredible sunset, but it's, it, it is an experience, but it's one that's rooted in words of truth that are given to us. And we ended by looking at the end of the chapter where John gave just one way in which we enter into that. This idea of confession, where through confessing our faults and our sins, we kind of lay a hold of the pathway that Jesus has set out for us to experience God. And as we just heard, in the middle of this uh, second chapter, there is a poem about children, young people and parents. So... So this poem kind of names a church of three distinct groups. So I reckon John knew about G2, he knew about our cluster system, and he wrote something that would just perfectly fit with the way that we do church. Um, Okay, John, do you want to just click it on for me? Uh, And so I want us just to look at these three words, what they mean and how they um, hang together. If you just click again for me. And so there are different ways we can put these words together. Bear with me, this, this will help. There are different ways in which we can put these together. So a famous uh, Christian called Augustine of Hippo, one of the early heroes and authors of the Christian faith, said these are like, these words are like a spiritual pilgrimage. And it represents a journey that anyone that follows God takes. You begin as a child... And then from a child you mature to be this uh, youth, this young person, and then you become uh, an adult. 
And so he said this was the journey of, of every person's life. He said it was the journey, of the spiritual journey of every person that begins to follow Jesus. So if you begin to follow Jesus when you're 40, you begin aged 40, natural age, as a spiritual child. And then you become a youth and then you become uh, an adult. Uh, and he also said it can, it can be like a, a season of your life can go through this journey. God might say something or do something or take you through a particular situation and you will go through it first as a child, then like a youth and then like um, an adult. And if we click on to the next one. Uh, so somebody else suggested that the words hang together like this. Uh, that first of all, we're a child. Now you probably picked up if you scanned this book that John uses this word child, children of God, uh, repeatedly. He's not the only one. The rest of the New Testament, the rest of the Bible uses this idea. It's like a universal way of referring to somebody who's learning to follow Jesus. So the idea is actually we're all, we're all always child, a child. We all begin as a spiritual child. So for example, Jesus said, when you pray, just say, our Father. So that's the so Jesus saying, when you pray, understand that you come to God as a Father and you as uh, you are his child. Jesus said, unless you uh, become like children, you will not experience the, ch- the kingdom of God. Um, so this is like a way of experiencing God, that we start as a child. And then the idea is that, that we, we either engage as a, a youth so it might be like um, uh, doing, uh, it might be the activity, energy, or we might engage like a parent. So we're like uh, a wise person, a thinker, somebody who is knowing. And let's click on to the next one. And so a third word that we can um, look at this, and I, I'm going to just call this the family of faith, is rather than seeing them as a hierarchy or as a step where we kind of go from one and then we progress and improve to another we could see these as a circle of ideas that flow into each other and uh, click again and so maybe like a child it's a a phase of learning and then as a youth like a phase of doing and then as a parent a phase of teaching and and it could be as if these sort of flow together so it's not like uh, well I was a child and now I'm a youth I have nothing to do with Childishness. No, but I, I engage with all three, and actually one leads me to the other in a helpful way, and then I may go around and experience them afresh and again. Well, let's uh, unpack uh, what uh, these three words mean. And the first is child. And as we've already said, uh, this idea of being a child is like a universal term in the Bible. Jesus taught us to pray that way. He said we need to be like children. And in the ancient world, Far more than in our society, children were utterly dependent upon their parents. There were no schools, no hospitals, no clubs, no societies, little communication, not much transport. So to a child, parents and family were everything. To be a child in the ancient world was to recognise your dependence upon your parents. You needed everything from them. And if they didn't provide it, there was no second place that it would come. Also in the ancient world, children didn't have rights. They weren't considered persons until they reached 
uh, an adult age. So the opinion of a child, the witness of a child, the desires of a child were not considered relevant. Adults were in char- charge and children were like uh, the property of parents. Not necessarily in a horrible way, but in a sense that they're not adults yet, so we don't ask them what they want, we don't take note of their opinions until they become adults. So when we're asked by Jesus to act like children in order to experience God, it is a supreme expression of humility and vulnerability. It's not to say, wow, I'll be a child, I'll be the centre of the universe. It's to say, in fact, the opposite. I will be utterly dependent upon my Father who is God. And I, and I will yield something of my rights in humility to accept that actually I'm submitting to God who is my Father in heaven. And about children, this passage says two simple things. The children were defined by two simple ideas. First, that they know their sins have been forgiven. And second, that they have known the Father. That's a brilliant place to start. That's a brilliant place to start anything. Number one, to know that your sins have been forgiven. Number two, to know that God loves you. To know that God loves you and accepts you. That he's cleaned up your mess and he's welcomed you in. And the idea of spiritual children in church, I think, is a powerful illustration. Um, Children uh, have little expectation of work or industry placed upon them. Um, uh, You know, some of you will have sent your children now to school. You've not sent them out to earn a living. You've not asked them to go and bring in some money. Um, Children don't need to do a lot to be valued. Uh, A two-year-old doesn't have to generate finances for the family. A baby just has to smile and everybody's impressed. In fact, they can do far more awkward things and everyone goes, clever boy, and other things like that. The point is, children bring delight to a family, whether that's a natural family, an atomic family, or a church family. Spiritual children, although they may bring needs and demands upon the community, actually they bring life and activity and vibrance to a community. Children are also learners. Children remind us that we should be learning. Parents experience that when they teach their children things, when they're teaching them how to learn. And we experience the same as we have spiritual children in our midst who are given to us that we instruct them in the ways. We learn our faith better because we pass it on to others. Next, John speaks about young people. And youth is a middle stage. It's a, it's a transition. Definitely no longer a child, but not yet fully adult. So youth know things. They think they know everything. They think they're better than the adults. Then they become adults. Then they wish they were youth again. Then they wish they were children again. Youth is a stage of life, it's a middle stage, it's an in-between, it's a highly formative stage in life. When we're figuring out what our values are, what's important, what is uh, my identity, what are my foundations. And John also says that this stage is characterised by overcoming evil. He says this, uh, you have overcome The evil one. So a child knows that they're forgiven and loved by God 
A spiritual youth is an overcomer. A child knows they're forgiven and that God loves them, but a spiritual youth is someone who is overcoming. And they're discovering that the same God that loves and accepts them can also change them. A child is in a cycle of dependency upon those that provide for it. A youth is in a cycle of spiritual change. And John, even in his letter, highlights, I think, some of the ways in which that change might be expressed. Let me give you a few examples. Changing because you're not loving others, or ignoring sin in our lives, or not hasting, or uh, hating, or boasting, or materialism, or denying Jesus, or being led astray, or doing what you know is wrong, murder, not sharing our possessions, ignoring when our hearts condemn us, or not believing that God is greater than the world. Just to list a few examples that John gives later in this letter. And there's a hint of how some of that happens when John says this, and the word of God is strong in you. See, just as children assume that all they need will be given to them at the time when it's needed, that it will be served up by others when they need it, youth is a phase characterised by learning to find the spiritual food yourself. The word of God is strong in you. And I think also in the way John talks about this, this idea of being a youth, that it's more than just the personal journey, but it's the overcoming that might spill over into society and community. So, for example, just as many of us have been looking at things like the refugee um, Situation and what's happening. There's something in us that, that wants to change that. We want to overcome it. We want to say, that's not good, that's bad, that should change. I want to change it, I want to be involved. That's the spirit of this youthful engagement with God that I think is being described here. And the last group, the third group, are parents. Not dependent children. Not the variability or the uncertainty of youth, but now a mature person. And we're told simply this, that they're defined by this. They have known him who was from the beginning. So the children were told knew God. I think of it like this. You've been introduced. You met him. It was real, but it's like you just met him. And now now you know who he is. But the parent is described as this. You've known him who was from the beginning. Perhaps by virtue of just time having passed, that 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 experience has been repeated, that that experience has grown deeper. Or perhaps through that journey, it hasn't hasn't stayed just a, a first discovery of God, but that person's gone deep and they've discovered with some depth who God is. And I guess in a way, um, parents inevitably therefore are only parents if they are raising up children and youth themselves. So this is not an independent maturity. That, this isn't just saying that, that guy's like a guru sitting in a mountain in a cave on his own and he's like reached the top of spiritual maturity. Now that's not what's being talked about here because what's being talked about here is something that involves other people. And the, and the obvious thing is that the parent is somebody who is raising up others as well. 
not in the spiritual sense, not limited to biology, not necessarily meaning you've had children. It could be children you adopted, children you spiritually adopted. It doesn't mean, therefore, people who have to be significantly younger than you. You may be a parent to those who are in natural years older than you, but a spiritual parent is somebody that's taking what they've learned as a child, what they've overcome in their own life, in terms of being changed by God as a youth, and they are now passing it on to others as a spiritual parent in Christ. And I think there's something of a journey here. I think children are, not that children are naturally quiet, but children are, spiritual children often aren't shouting about themselves. I think there's something about that youthful spirit of, of being uh, loud, of, making, of saying, let's make this known, let's proclaim it. I think there's something about this parental phase that, that John is highlighting here. Those that have known him from the beginning. These are not necessarily people who are elevating themselves. I think these spiritual parents are probably elevating those that they are raising up. Their heart is more for others than it is for themselves. Uh, you find that as a natural parent. So um, I looked through my phone uh, today and I realised I've got a whole load of people in my phone book who were just known by their children. Some of the parents, I don't even know their names. It just says Izzy's dad, uh, Sarah's dad, um, Sally's mum. Just friends of our children. I've got their parents in, their, in the phone. I've needed to ring them and I haven't necessarily even found out their name yet. But I know them by association with their children. Sometimes we have a funny conversation with a parent when we meet at their house or our house and we actually introduce ourselves and, they, and I say, hi, I'm Philip's dad and then I, I actually reveal I have a name in, of my own. I'm not just known in relationship to my children, but I have, I have my own identity. But I think something like that is being hinted at here. The spiritual parent who is raising up the person that they're bringing along. Well, we're going to talk in a minute at our tables and we'll have an opportunity to respond. And I just want to give you some ways in which we may respond to this. And the first one is that, that thing I said about Augustine, that old, the, the ancient Christian of the faith. Um, and Augustine said this is a journey. And I think there's truth in that. There is a sense in which we, we accumulate over time wisdom of knowing God. That when we first come to know Jesus, we know nothing. We're like a babe, like a child that knows nothing. And we learn the first two lessons. Jesus forgives my sins. God loves me. And we dwell with that for a while. And then, and then, then we learn God doesn't just forgive me every day, every week, every month. He can change me. And we fight some of those battles. And then maybe we fight some wider battles where we see things in our society, our community, in the wider world in which we live. And then there's a natural journey onto wisdom and maturity. Maybe you can place yourself at some point along that journey. Maybe you can just, maybe instinctively you know, that's where I am. I'm like a youth, I'm fighting those battles, I'm learning to overcome. And it's important to know that because sometimes in church I meet people who have misunderstood where they are. People who should be parents in Christ. In Christ, that are behaving like consumer children. See, there are people here who do this talk better than me, but do you know what? That's not the point. The point is that we engage with it. 
But it's possible to have been a Christian so long and not, not matured into, God's now calling me to raise up others, that we still act like a child. I come to church, somebody serves me up food, somebody will give me the water, somebody will tell me what to do, somebody will tell me what I need to go, what I need to do when I leave. And that's, that's like childish behaviour in the life of somebody who actually has the potential for huge spiritual maturity. And you can imagine how destructive that could be for a person or even for someone else. Or maybe someone who um, is in that phase of being a spiritual youth and, and they're facing some of that overcoming, but they've not understood that it's God's pointing at their life. That God said, right, you used to be a child, now I'm putting you into a new phase, it's going to feel different. So it used to be, Jesus forgives all your sins. God loves you. That's still true, but we're adding something else into it. So you're going to be feeling this this sense of now you need to be overcoming. Now you need to be fighting some battles. But if you misunderstand that, you could just become an angry person in church. You could be just looking at everyone else going, well, I don't like that in that person. They're doing that wrong. She should never have said that. I won't put the tables out that way. And do you know what it is? It's It's like the youthful energy that's just being misdirected into the wrong place. Um, or we could be like... Um, oh no, I said that one, okay. All right, so that's number one. Understanding where you are. Behaving as a child, if that's the phase you're in. Behaving as a youth and overcoming, if that's the phase you're in. Behaving as a parent, if that's your phase you're in. In that second diagram where we had youth and parent... Um, there's this idea of releasing the intergenerational wisdom that's in a church. And often there's conflict in church between those that are young and those that are older. And the young want to see what needs to be changed. And so they are overcomers. We want to change this. That's not right. This could be better. We can improve that. Come on, let's do that. And then the, the old are being passive and wise. Well, we're just going to be with God. You know. We've fought all those battles and now we're just going to know him who was from the beginning. And it's possible that we can have um, frustrated young overcomers in a church and passive older spiritual parents. Uh, Here's a quote that somebody sent to me the other day. It's by uh, Richard Raw, who's a Franciscan monk. And he said this, without the young man, the old man won't do anything. Without the old man, the young man can't do anything. And so maybe we also need to, within the community of our church, team up the best of what we've got to get together. If just those with youthful overcoming energy take on the mission of church, they will go with great passion, but maybe at risk of making mistakes, of doing it the wrong way, of, of going into places that will harm or, or knock them back. If, if, if the leadership of the church rests just in those who are older, the danger is the church spends its time being, and it's sound and orthodox and doctrinally pure in every way, but never actually engages with the truth that it believes to live out the mission of the church. And so we need to put those two together. The young man won't do anything without the old man. The young man can't do anything without the older man. We need to bring those two generations 
together. The third way in which we can engage with this is to see this as a journey that we can go through in our lives. It may be you are in the middle of a journey now. Or you can think of a time when you've, God's taken you through a situation or circumstances have taken you through a situation. It can be even how we pray and engage with God. Maybe you've, you've messed up and you have sinned and you've blown it and you, you, you're wondering, what do I do, what do I do? And we, you could just go through the journey of first being a child, then being a youth, then being a parent. So if you've messed up or got it wrong, what do you need to know? You just need to know, Jesus forgives you, God loves you. And then the next day you just need to know, God loves you, and Jesus forgives you. And the next day you just need to know, God loves you, and Jesus forgives you. And then Jesus will take you to the next phase where he'll say, brilliant, now we've laid that foundation, now that cement has been put in place. We're not going to leave that, we're going to build on top of it, now we're going to overcome Now we're going to change things that shouldn't be the way they are. Now we're going to get the word of God and we're going to apply it to our lives and we're going to see change that comes. And then when we've done some of that, now we're going to take this, because it wasn't just for you, now we're going to pass this on to others. We're going to share this with others so that others can benefit from it. And we can see it as a spiritual cycle of faith. And it doesn't matter that you might have been a Christian for many years. It may be from time to time, either because God prompts you or circumstances cause it to happen, that God takes you back just to the simplicity of the basics of knowing God. I've got a friend who just told me he just feels overwhelmed with the production quality of worship. And so he needs to go back to the simplicity of worship so so that he knows it's an authentic Experience. So he's going back to being like a spiritual child in worship. So he can rediscover with maturity what it means. I've no doubt he'll go through that cycle and then in time he will share with others and help them to know that. And the fourth way in which we might engage is this. This idea that um, this, we might identify with one of these areas. We might be in a phase of just learning. It's like a child. I'm, just, I'm going to be a child again. I'm going to just learn this afresh from God. Or we might be um, the youth and uh, we're, just, we're overcoming, we're just identifying what needs to change, what needs to be applied in my life. Or it might be a phase when God's nudging you, now's the time to invest in others. You need to be a teacher, you need to be helping others. It's not just, a, I've taught you enough, I've, 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 I've taken you through some of this journeys, now it's time for you to pass some of this on to others. So we'll spend just a couple of minutes chatting at our table. And what I'd love you to talk about is which, in which way do you engage with those words? In which area maybe is God prompting you to have a childlike, simple faith? Maybe in another area. Uh, in which areas of your life is God calling you to be an overcomer? To see change, maybe either in your life or maybe in, in the world around you? In which areas has God given you enough that now... You can go and invest in others and be a spiritual parent. And it may be just, you may have one for all three of those, or you may just have one that's in your mind. But all of us will have at least one that we can engage with.